0: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
1: Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear.
2: I'm your host, Tommy. i actually listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Uh, got a little emergency type podcast today. North Carolina has gotten used to dumping news on Thursdays, and with that comes the dates for the 2020 football schedule. Got Ross Martin and Greg Barnes joining me as usual. Rate us, review us, iTunes, Spotify, however you want to do it. Uh, on YouTube, if you're watching this there, subscribe so you can get these videos ASAP when they hit. Ross, I'll come into you first. Carolina's schedule. At first blush, October appears to be a brutal, brutal stretch for the Tar Heels. But overall, I, I kind of like the setup.
3: Yeah, I, mean, I would recommend everybody read Greg's article up on Inside Carolina. It kind of breaks down the, the ebbs and flows of the schedule. But, yeah, in my opinion, it does kind of off reputation kind of start off easy, which, which you would like. Uh, Syracuse at home. And then the non-conference game and you have a bye week. I mean, and, and that bye week, I think, comes a little little earlier than you would like. Maybe you want to get three or four games underneath your belt. But uh, you'll take what you get. And then uh, you kind of have a bye week before a big stretch of seven games and starts with BC, who, you know, new coach. We don't know exactly how good they'll be either. But then it really gets difficult with Virginia Tech, Florida State, so forth, so on. So that that – stretch of games in October into November seven straight games uh three on the road it looks like no four on the road three at home before an open slate before Notre Dame and Miami um that's where it gets difficult and it closes with Notre Dame Miami which which as Greg noted uh is where I think and obviously Greg thinks is where kind of the ACC championship will be decided whether that's Notre Dame whether that's Miami whether that's UNC and who knows where Clemson will be at that point as well so uh, I think it, it lays out nicely for UNC with uh, with some easier games to kind of get your feet wet before the, the really the girth
2: of the schedule begins. Yeah, you've got those three winnable games for sure. Greg, we'll get to the end here in a second, but just looking at the notes from Carolina that are at the bottom of your article, and again, if you're watching this or listening to this and you haven't checked out Greg's article and the message board thread, you need to on Inside Carolina, but Carolina opens with a home conference game for the first time since 03. That's hard to believe that it's been that long.
1: Yeah, uh, and there's a reason for that. I don't think any uh, coaches want to start their season with the conference game if you can avoid it, uh, just to give yourself some time to kind of work into the schedule, work out some kinks, and and then be ready for conference play because that's that's what matters most for sure different year um you know there was some conversation earlier this week that maybe that non-conference game wouldn't wouldn't ultimately go away uh just because i mean if you look at what the other power file conferences were doing they were just doing conference only Uh, acc network really needed an extra game by requiring that game to be at home that essentially gave them 15 extra games which is why the acc is doing it it's about the uh it's about the benjamins as, as we all know uh But, yeah, I think in terms of how the schedule starts, you prefer to have that non-conference game first. But Syracuse, you struggled last year. I suspect they'll probably struggle again this year. It's not going to be one of the better ACC teams. And then you do have that non-conference game uh, the second week, which which I imagine will still be James Madison if they're able to fill out a schedule. If not, it may be somebody else. Uh, But you essentially have three weeks there to start the season. Uh, where you should win both games and you have an extra week to prepare for, as you said, is, is a very tough stretch there to, to start October.
2: Yeah, I guess James Madison, is that, Greg, is that are they the only option there given that UConn canceled their season or are there other names in the mix?
1: Well, I'm sure they're looking at all viable options. Uh, but if you look at what North Carolina has already scheduled, uh, Auburn's out because that game is supposed to be in Georgia. Central Florida's out. The game is supposed to be in Florida. As you mentioned, Connecticut. Uh, which North Carolina would have had to pay $1.5 million to cancel that game, Connecticut's out. When you factor in that the James Madison game uh, was scheduled for September 19th, it seems like they created that slot specifically for that game. That's me speculating, but I would imagine, as I said, if James Madison is able to have a schedule, and their, their situation is interesting because uh, I guess it was the AAC decided not to have a conference season. But they allowed their individual members, uh, if they could generate a independent schedule, they could play to try to make money. And JMU's athletic directors already said he wanted to play at least eight games. Mm-hmm. So if they're able to make that work, then it would make sense that JMU is going to be that September 9th game. A lot a lot of ball still in the air at this point in time, so we'll just have to wait and see.
3: It's crazy. Georgia Tech kind of snagged UCF and has a, a UCF home game uh, versus Yellow Jackets. So
1: they, yeah, they, they see- got it. And some of the dialogue, too, uh, and I don't know how legitimate this was, but it was the idea of, okay, so the ACC is doing 10 plus one. Do you essentially throw all the teams that were potential non-conference opponents for all 15 ACC schools in a pot, and you try to make that work as best you can? So as you say, Ross, that a Central Florida can play Georgia Tech. Or is it not that much of kind of a groupthink approach where you're trying to help each other out? and you're trying to make things work the best for your own school. I'm not exactly sure. I don't know if we'll get that answer, but it is a, an interesting uh, idea at least.
2: And Did
3: then Liberty is playing three ACC teams, which was creating some buzz on Twitter today as well. And
2: that's interesting given Liberty's <laughs> issues um, non-related to COVID. Uh, looking at that UCF game, didn't Georgia Tech play UCF? Was it last year? Was it down there? So that's just basically them getting their return home game, I think. Um, but Ross, another I mean I guess a week of note for North Carolina's schedule a lot of people are going to talk about and it's in the middle of that October stretch is NC State there mm-hmm. on that weekend. I can't remember it used to be then because that's close to the February or excuse me the state fair week where state and Carolina used to always play, but a lot of discussion about that game getting pulled off the back end what do you think?
3: Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's cool. I think it's, a, it's a right in the middle of the season. I think there'll be a lot of attention around the ACC race at that point. UNC would already have four ACC games underneath their belt with Syracuse, BC, Virginia Tech, and Florida State. So, you know, they could be sitting at, at 3-1 or, or 4-0 or 2-2, and and it puts a lot more attention on that state game. And then, and then Virginia and then Duke and Wake Forest, so you have a kind of a stretch of, of the in-state games with Virginia added in there. It makes that stretch critical. Um, you know, state. You know, at that point, they may have a couple of losses. They have Virginia Tech, Wake Forest, Pitt, Virginia, and Duke before they play the Tar Heels. So, I mean, they, shit, <laughs> they could be two and three. They could be, you know, three and two. They could be zero and five. Who knows? So, I think it's cool how it's in the middle. Um, there's, I think there's gonna be a little more attention because there won't be as much decided at that point. And it's in October. You know how the weather is in Chapel Hill in late October. It's going to be nice. You have the, the Wolfpack coming in town. And, and you know what? UNC basketball won't be in Hawaii yet. So if, you know, there'll be a little bit more attention. Where I, I think that state game in the season kind of gets lost oftentimes. Greg's, Greg and I are in the Bahamas or in Hawaii or Portland or Vegas covering the, the, the Tar Heel basketball team. And just sometimes at that point, the season's already decided. Um, at least the ACC races and this I think will be very much in it and uh, who knows how hot Dave Doran's seat will be at that point when the when the
2: Wolfpack come into Keene Stadium. A lot of good points there you're right about the, the Thanksgiving weekend with the basketball tournaments Greg that being said Notre Dame Friday night after Thanksgiving that that's potentially the biggest game on the schedule who knows what's going to happen with fans and all that but is that a good time for that game to happen for this program?
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) And I wish, I wish these conferences would be more upfront in terms of, Hey, we're trying to schedule this in hopes of it being a primetime game. Mm -hmm. Like this has the potential to be a tremendous game uh, for the ACC. And I I think, I think you need to be honest with that. It's okay. And if you, if you misfire, so be it, it's not a big deal. Uh, But Everybody expects Clemson to be in the ACC championship game. Could that change? Of course. You, know, you never know with who's going to get sick, who's going to get hurt, all those kind of things. But as of right now, I think we're all penciling Clemson into the mix. The second team, however, we're not sure. Could be Virginia Tech, could be North Carolina. A lot of people think it's going to be Notre Dame. If Miami gets their act together because they've got uh, Derek King, maybe they're in the mix. You know, a lot of different options there Louisville. But by putting North Carolina in Notre Dame that Friday after Thanksgiving, at least one of those two teams will be in position for the ACC championship game. And highly likely that both of them will still be in position. So I think the fact that you've got that game scheduled, then it's a showcase game for the ACC. Uh, and it's a good thing that you know, for North Carolina fans, it's going to be a game that matters and it's going to be a weekend that matters for everybody. Everybody's going to be huddling around the TV. Mm-hmm. It has the potential to be a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, That's when you wish there are fans. Cause that Friday with Notre Dame coming to Chapel Hill, I mean, sometimes that, that, that Friday game or Saturday game after Thanksgiving gets lost in the fold because people are traveling, students are gone. I mean, that's the perfect game for all the fans to be there for, for the Irish coming to the Stadium. So you just wish that, but obviously it's not going to be a, a full stadium. Um, so that's going to be huge. And then you look at who Clemson plays in those last games as well. They have Pitt, Virginia Tech. So the ACC, like you said, Greg, is a Virginia, Tech, Cle- Virginia Tech-Clemson game as the last game is, is a huge made-for-TV game. UNC Miami as the last game is big as well. You can kind of see what the ACC is doing, trying to line up these, these big, important ACC games for the, the later half of the schedule when,
2: when something more will be on the line. Virtually an ACC tournament there, Thanksgiving weekend, and afterwards to get to the ACC championship game. We'd like you mentioned Ross, Virginia Tech, and Clemson, and then Carolina and Miami, and depending on what Notre Dame does there. It's pretty exciting time. It's you, one of the- hey,
1: hey, Tommy, what do you think it says that. Um- NC State and Georgia Tech are scheduled for December fifth.
2: They they were planning for an empty stadium anyway, <laughs> and they just hey. made, it's a shopping day or something.
3: How how hot is Doran seat? I mean, I, I don't. I mean, he has had some good he has some good seasons there. He had two nine one seasons last year. They went four and eight, one and seven in the ACC. I mean, and with finances now, I don't think they we'll to be firing any coaches after this year. That
1: Freshers. that is the that is the most relevant point there, Ross, for sure. But yeah. I, after I think it was the two thousand sixteen year um you know if if they don't beat north carolina in that season finale all word that we had from nc state people was that he was gone Mm -hmm. but you know he's able to beat north carolina and he saves his rear end and then has a couple good years but if you look at what he's done in the acc and his acc schedule sucks his record sucks
2: ac record yeah
1: um
2: yeah when conference only came out for dave doran he had to be going uh (laughs) <laughs> right exactly. and I don't think they have a quarterback I don't
3: think they have unless someone gets Devin Leary lot, they're, they're hoping Devin better. Leary
1: yeah right gets much more accurate he's got an arm yeah. but he doesn't know where he's throwing it sometimes yeah. and they the have
3: McLaughlin, some guys dude. they have some guys on defense but
2: yeah they got a uh, that was a uh, the guys they have on defense uh, most of those guys are at Carolina right now if Mike Brown is in Chapel Hill that. Yeah, year. like
3: I mean Lee McNeil, I mean he's getting I mean they have some they've some definitely have some defensive line talent that are entering their like sophomore junior years, right Tommy? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like Savion a, Jackson Yeah, so. local kids. A lot of Clayton
1: and, boys, yeah.
2: Yeah, and, and I've got little doubt that they're in Chapel Hill under di- different circumstances there. It, let me talk about Johnny T-shirt right fast. Johnny T-shirts our sponsor, certainly a great sponsors of this podcast and events in Carolina. We need to get out and support them football schedule's out. Maybe they're fans, maybe they're not, but you can still buy gear to hang out at your own personal tailgate, wear it, get it from Johnny T-shirt online, They'll bring it to your house. What a great invention that you can order something on a computer and they deliver it to your front door. Uh, man, these times are amazing. And then you've got Johnny T-shirt on Franklin Street. I saw a tweet by them earlier this week, loaded up, ready to go for folks to come see them as students get more on campus and as Uh, fans and all, and and people matriculate to Chapel Hill. Visit them online. 10% off your order if you're a premium subscriber. If you're not and you listen to these podcasts, I'm not sure how, join up, get that 10%, uh, you know, and get some recruiting news. I think people like that too. Let me break and pay the national bills. We'll be right back.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?
2: We're back with the Inside Carolina Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Ross Martin. Let's talk about money for a minute. And, and Ross, I know you were reading the letter, and, Greg, we've talked about this, and you and Buck and I talked about it briefly. Uh, A letter out from Bubba Cunningham today to Rams Club members talking about the financial stress that the program is under. Uh, You know, I asked you and Buck earlier, and I guess this is something we can talk about on the air, is are are colleges – really on that thin of margins with this stuff like is this devastating and i mentioned the stanford thing and those i mean that letter from bubba maybe i read it wrong at first blush but it seemed like a call for help from the fan base am i looking at that the wrong way maybe
3: Can i read this right now i mean this is the part that stood out the financial implications of the pandemic are serious we face a 15 million million dollar loss in ticket revenue and a potential 30 million loss overall, even if we are allowed to fill Keenan Stadium at thirty percent capacity for football and the Smith Center at fifty percent capacity for men's basketball. If fall sports seasons and men's basketball seasons aren't shortened or canceled, we could lose up to fifty two million dollars in revenue, including ticket sales, sponsorship, and television revenue, conference distributions and concession sales. Just to make sure everybody hears that I haven't read the whole letter, so I'm not actually looking at it right now.
2: Greg, that that sounds dire to be honest.
1: Yeah. And it's to be expected. Uh, I think, you know, the raw numbers that we have from 2018 uh, is that North Carolina football brought in 40 million in revenue, uh, had a surplus profit of 16 million. And then basketball, I think their surplus was, I want to say it was right at 15. So I believe there was about a 30 million, 31 million dollar surplus between those two sports and, of course, that funds the other 26. So when you're, you know, let's say 30% capacity. Now, Bubba notes, as, as Ralph said, notes that you know, capacity levels have not yet been set. We know those numbers are, are fluctuating kind of behind the scenes. But if you're talking about 30% capacity, that is a significant hit to you know, ticket revenue. Um, and then if you look at, you know, what the ACC network brought in last year, uh, you know, I think Swafford said it was like a 5% hit from what they had expected. Um, that's your TV revenue. And so you know that these are going to be challenges. And you know, I mentioned a little while ago about ACC Network really wanting that non-conference game to give them an extra, some extra inventory. That's why you want to try to hit those benchmarks for your contracts so you can pay out and help the schools. And so, yeah, it clearly is a, an issue. And I think that the dialogue to have um, is you know, with this being a you know, a public institution with this being a, a a school where you're really not trying to profit because you know, once you start profiting then the players have more you know, right I guess you could say or, or at least footing to demand a, a share of the, those profits. Um, but if you if you don't have that profit, the way you you prevent that profit from happening. To, to say this another way. Is you raise coaches' salaries, you raise the arms race in terms of facilities. And so, if you're making money, you can keep upping the ante with how much you're paying coaches and assistants. And you, like Clemson, you're putting in a bowling alley, or you're putting in a very nice slide from the third floor down to the opening door because it's cool and you need to spend the money somehow. And so, because of all these things that have been built in over the years, when calamity hits and adversity hits, and you have to cut back drastically. How do you do that? Do you go to the coach and say, "Hey, you know what? We're paying you six million, um, or your staff six million. We're going to need two million back this year." And those are conversations that you can have. But you have contracts in place that make it difficult to have those conversations for one year. Um, and so it is a very difficult scenario. And there's so many options that you have to kind of uh, take a look at in terms of how can we save money. You know, do we cut schools? Do we cut cut sports? Do we uh, you do hiring freezes, which is what North Carolina has done? You know, do you cut salaries? All these different things that you've got to figure out how you can make some of this money back. But it opens the door for this other conversation of, okay, like, why aren't we prepared better? We don't, why don't we have a slush fund, essentially an emergency fund, where we could just pull from whenever we have a bad year? Uh, you know, different, different things go into that. It's a
2: fascinating thing, Ross.
3: Yeah, I and mean, this is Greg's area for sure. I mean, I'm reading here, they they've already cut sport budgets by ten percent by having a spinning freeze, halting non of travel, and they've left sixteen full time open positions in the department unfulfilled. Um, you know, I don't this is gonna sound political. I mean, I don't really feel bad for for these big colleges, especially a school that has twenty eight sports. I mean, they should start by cutting sport some of the sports teams that I mean I, I, in my opinion it's kind of silly that UNC has 28 sports and that's a big part of what Bubba wants to do and stuff But I mean do we need a, a rowing team Tommy mm, you're not getting me in that discussion <laughs> that's right <laughs> and then, I mean I'll just say this I remember I mean, Charles,
2: what Charles Corralt said
3: yeah yeah I'll just say this like I feel bad for the hourly workers who do parking who do yep. concessions who take tickets who run security that they use that to supplement their income. And that's probably a, a good portion of, of the money they make in the fall. And they rely on those six, seven home games uh, for basketball and for football. I mean, that's huge for those people that, that, that make a good amount of money on those Saturdays and or Saturdays and, and then basketball game days. And that's how this is, I think this, this epidemic pandemic is really affecting people. The hourly workers who, who live paycheck by paycheck and now don't have this extra money in the fall. And basketball season. Um, because they're definitely gonna have to cut, I guess, a lot of those positions as well, given the reduction in fans. So yeah,
1: and that's the that's the challenge too, because you thirty percent is what Bubba threw out capacity for Keenan. Well, let's say that you the, the medical experts say you can't have thirty percent. Say it's twenty percent. Now you're talking about, you know, what's that twelve, twelve thousand people in the stands? And when you Weigh in what you're bringing in and ticket sales for those 12,000 compared to, like Ross said, all these people that you have to have in place for parking, for concessions, for ushering, for all these different things. You're pretty close to being out of wash. You're pretty close to being at a point where if the weather's not good and you only have 10,000 people show up, do you take a loss because of that threshold? Then you get into the point, well, do we have fans at all? Is it worth even having them show up? I mean, you know, these are all very difficult conversations to have. Um, yeah. And I, we clearly don't have all the data available. That's why Bubba makes the money that he makes. That I don't envy anybody having to make those types of decisions.
3: Yeah, I mean, you don't want to, have, you want, don't want to ask coaches to take a pay cut. But, I mean, it's tough. The contracts make it really tough there. But, you know, you saw what Roy did by donating 600000 Things like that help uh, remedy some of these issues. I mean, if if each coach took a thousand, hundred thousand dollar pay cut, that could hire four more people.
2: Yeah, it's um, Yeah, I, I do not want to be the one that has to make those decisions, but I do think some of these decisions—and it's not just college sports, but schools and everything—should already been made, or at least are in the middle.
3: We're in the middle of a global pandemic, and
2: that's what yeah. we have to realize. Some people say, "I agree with you," but. Let me ask you this, uh, Greg, and I was going was was to ask the question. Um, you made me forget. I was going to ask a question as far as uh, when do those decisions, when are they made, Greg, as far as fans, as far as all that? I mean, do they just ride it up to the very end? I feel like this entire time, especially with North Carolina high school sports or whatever, these decisions are just riding up to the last possible time to make one. I mean, can you yes. do it that way?
1: They're going to try. Uh, I, think, I think one of the hard things was, is as we got into May and the NCAA allowed teams to return to campus you know, on June 1st, at that point in time, it looked like all the, the COVID numbers were on the downward path. And I think a lot of people got comfortable and you felt like, okay, you know what, we, we had a bad spring season financially. As long as we get back on track for fall, we'll be okay. And there's a little blip in the road. The numbers were looking good. Everybody felt comfortable. But then when everything kind of exploded, when, when people started going back to, to live in their normal lives and the trajectory of this shot back up, it blew up the whole formula. And you really put these, uh, I mean, put everybody in a bad spot, but it really put these, these college administrators in a tough spot of being like, okay, well, if the numbers start going down again, we've got a lot more leeway with what we can do. If they don't go down at all then we're kind of stuck in this no-man's land and they keep going up now we're really in trouble because we have to make money to survive but yet the data is saying that maybe we shouldn't take this approach and you're right i think all you can do is kind of kick the can down the road hope for some good news or at least hope for some some new information Um, but the way science works is because this is a new virus we're learning new things and that's why we have all these discussions well, today, this is the news. Tomorrow, this is going to be the news. That's how, that's how this works. We, we learn new things every day, and they're just waiting until they have as much information as they can possibly have to make the best decision they can. How long can they go? Who knows? The fact that we have a schedule in place now is progress, uh, but you know we still got, what, five weeks before that, that first game. A lot can change between now and then.
2: Yep. It's August sixth right now. Recording this at uh, first game's September to twelfth. So they got five weeks to figure it out. And with students coming on campus, we'll see how that works across the country. Let's uh let's be quiet and talk football. Ross, today, first day of camp, Mike Brown press conference. What's the what are the takeaways?
3: Yeah, we we'll have a lot of uh coverage up. Sorry. we we'll have a lot of coverage up. Uh hopefully by the time you Started listening to this podcast. But, yeah, Mac was – he was moving through some stuff. I thought – what do you think, Greg? I thought he was kind of moving through a lot of topics. Wasn't as long-winded, which I think when he's not as long-winded, he's at his best because you can really get into some other stuff. And he gets his point across. Um, Major takeaways, I mean, they're trying to build depth uh, with young players, with the shortened – Uh, preseason camp and with the lack of a spring they're kind of behind the eight ball on really getting these young players and like the redshirt freshmen the sophomores the incoming freshmen adjusted to what they want to do luckily you know this is the second year in the system so they do have players who understand what they need and that's a huge help for the tar heels heading to the 2020 season Um, we got into a lot of things you know offensive line defensive line but um, the key is I mean building a two deep so they can just roll players in and not have to play the starters, you know, 90 snaps. They want to be kind of splitting it a lot more this year. We're talking 50 snaps for the starters and then probably like 30, 40 snaps for the backups. I and mean, he really wants 22 players on offense and defense um, to be able to come in and, and play. And I think that's kind of, that was the theme of, of this um, press conference. And I'm sure Greg will get to a lot more details. And one thing was interesting that I think Greg's going to write about is uh What's going to happen when a group of players gets coronavirus? And how do you prepare for that with with second teams, with separating players, with being able to have players play on both sides of the ball if necessary at some point? Because if someone gets coronavirus on Thursday and the game's on Saturday and, and all of a sudden you're out three starters, what happens? And, and that's kind of an interesting thing to to, to think about, to write about, and to prepare for heading into the season.
2: Greg, that that is – that's the huge unknown there. But let me ask you this before you get into that portion of it is this summer has probably been more on the players themselves than ever. How did, how is Mike Brown's mindset in that regard? Uh, Is he pleased with what he's seen or does he, did he offer those opinions? Because if you didn't work on your own this summer and granted, I understand they have program, but then you come in today, and you're going to be way behind. Matt Brown's thoughts on how, where his team is today going in. And
1: yeah, That was one thing that Mac talked about dating back to March, is mm-hmm. that this is a scenario where if some guys thrive you know, when it's just them and, and they have to take accountability for themselves, other guys need to be pushed. And we've talked about that on this podcast. Uh, all that he said the last week or two that we've talked to him is that he's pleased with how the guys came back. That Brian Hess is pleased with what they look like. So I'll take that as, as a good sign. I'm sure you, you just have to imagine when you're talking about a hundred plus guys, there's some guys that probably didn't hit the benchmarks that, that Hess and Brown wanted. That's, that's to be expected. Uh, but in the conversations we've had, he, he sounds pleased. Uh, I do think, you know, Ross touched on this, but the fact that, you know north all these schools uh but you're used to having a a spring season you're used to having summer workouts with the conditioning coaches uh all these different things so that when you get to training camp you know who's in shape you know who knows what in terms of schematics you've already run through the offense twice like phil likes to do in the spring all these things are already in place but now you're at training camp uh, and as, as Mac talked about today, you know, when you've got 25 new kids who have like no experience really whatsoever, yes, you've had, you know, two, two weeks of voluntary workouts, but you, it's not the same thing as what they're, they're doing now with camp. You've got to get those guys up to speed in time for that season opener. So you've got guys that come back from last year and you okay, we know they know what they're supposed to be doing. So do we give the younger guys more reps instead of, you know, putting so many reps on the guys that have experience? At what point do we turn our attention to Syracuse? Uh, the coaches, of course, already are, but in terms of the players, because typically what we've seen in years past is you know, 10 to 14 days out of that season opener, you're already looking and preparing for that season opener. I mean, you're ready for that first opponent. Well, I don't know that you can do that this year. So there are a lot of different things, and it's really going to be up to the coaches to, to manage that as best they can to make sure your veterans and the guys that are going to play are up to speed but you also want to make sure that if a des evans for example is a guy you're going to have to rely on you got to bring him along very quickly uh, but you got to do it efficiently to make sure that, that he understands what he needs to do so this is I've, more than anything i think we're going to see who are the good coaches you know it's easy to recruit good talent and put talent out there but we have a very condensed window here and it'll tell us who are legitimate coaches across the country because the team that plays the best early, I think those good teams will have a, a leg up on everybody else. And that'll be primarily, yes, talent's part of it, but it'll be primarily because of the coaches did a really good job managing this tight window.
3: Yeah. Ahead, I Rose. mean, yeah. Um, kind of to, to piggyback on that, it's going to be so interesting to see because you have so many different variables in play now who's in shape, who's not in shape. How do you balance who's at what position and how many reps younger players are getting versus the veterans. He mentioned Taman Fox you know he's been in the system. He's been at Carolina for, I guess, four or five years now. And, you know, he might not be getting as many reps as, as like a Des Evans because he knows what to do kind of keep him in shape, but you don't want to wear him down and other players, it may be more valuable to have other players earn those reps. So like Greg said, it's going to be interesting to see how they do this camp. And, and like, look, they only have, I think, four days of camp before classes start yep. and so then you're just back to regular practices you don't get those two days you don't get that period of i think it's almost 14 days usually of just all football staying in a hotel room you know they take a bus to camp take and they work out all day they have meetings they, they recover they lift They do whatever and they take a bus back to the hotel they don't have that this year it's it's four days of training camp and then classes start and then it's a, a regular practice schedule so, like Greg said, coaches, the really good coaches will know how to, to work this out and figure out the right balance between rest, strength conditioning, reps, and figure out what's going to work in addition to trying to, you know, cope and, and figure out this whole coronavirus thing.
1: And it's four days of camp without pads. Yeah. That's the crazy thing. The first day of full pads will be when class is in session.
3: You might see some really bad teams uh, in September yeah. when it starts. Because like, usually the first couple of weeks anyway, it's, everything's a little rough. But with this so much lack of preparation, no spring practice, and there's a lack of a, of a training camp for a lot of schools, you're going to see some ugly, ugly offense and defense.
2: And, Greg, to, to close the show, I was going to ask you, is this a fair statement? I think this year's successful teams – the teams that we're talking about in December and championship-level teams are going to be, A, ones that have good coaching staffs, like you mentioned, but I th- also think, B, that also have players that have bought completely in long before all this mess started. Because like Ross said, if you ain't bought in come September 12th, it ain't going to be pretty. And I think we'll see where Carolina is as far as Max's progress in building the program he wants. Is that fair?
1: I think so. I think, I think this is a good example. Or will provide a good example of the strength of a program because mm-hmm. this is, this is less about to your point. This is less about an individual team and more about the culture behind the program. Who was doing the work in March and April, you know, and you like Florida state, you, yeah. they were a mess under Willie Taggart. Uh, you had all the issues with Mike Novell back in the spring. Or I guess it was a couple of months ago. Uh, you know, with, with saying he talked to players and the players like, no, he didn't talk to us, <laughs> having all those issues. Uh, so how is the culture there? And I think that's a, that's a big component. It also gets into not only with strength and conditioning, but what about the, the players with regard to, like, COVID-19? Um, you know, Mac is stressed the social distancing. Apparently, you know, that got a little loose uh, after some, some good initial weeks this summer. Uh, You had a clustering of a bunch of cases proved problematic because they had to shut down practices for a week. You look at UNC schedule, they got seven weeks in a row of games. Mm -hmm. So if you have another spell where you guys get loose and they go to parties, maybe they're not supposed to be at and they spread COVID-19 around the team. Well, if it's during that seven game, seven week stretch, I mean, you're talking about potentially two games affected where you're not going to have key components. Um, and so again, that, that's part of the program building aspect of, you know, are the guys listening to the coaching staff.
3: Let me hop in here. I, I mean, we may have some older listeners who haven't been to college in a long time <laughs> and people that don't realize, I mean, parties are going to happen. There, is, fraternities are rocking. Sorority girls are back. House parties are happening. The kegs are flowing. I mean, I doubt, unless you're the one who's in the, li- in the library in, in September. I mean, I didn't open my – you know, you don't open your books until October. So, I mean, parties are happening. And there's girls out there. There's guys out there. The alcohol is flowing. And football players can go to parties. I mean, I, I, I don't, it's be tough for a – you know, a uh, uh, Saturday night after a game or before season starts and there's a pool party or, or this fraternity's having a party and the football players don't want to go. We get, they're going to sit in their room all day. I mean, this is 18 to 22. Like, you're not sitting in your room. You're getting out. You're meeting people. It's, there's so much excitement in August and September and October when you're in college. And, I mean, not to get into any other details here, but what's going to happen when a, a girl goes to a party after some fraternity and then shoots out a text to a UNC football player and says, hey, come over, there you go. There's your outbreak right there. Right. You know, she's been hanging out. Maybe the maybe football team's distancing themselves. But one girl went to a party with another 30 people. And a football player hangs out with that girl or whatever. You know, this is a different scenarios. And then right there is your, is your outbreak. And then he so hangs out the next morning with the whole football team. And, and there it is.
1: So what happens next week when all the, school, the kids come back and you have classes and you've got – what 15, 20,000 people on campus, whatever it yeah. may be. And yeah, that I happens. Mean, Life happens, right?
3: I'm not worried about class. I think people mask up and they'll be distancing, but it's what happens after class on Franklin Street and in the fraternities and the house parties. So and, if and you, you can't have those two things, they're not going to work together.
1: I agree. And so yeah. if you have, let's say, 10% of those people pick it up because they spread it, and you yeah. end up with 2,000 people on campus. 2000 students that have COVID-19 forget about the athletic department. What is, what is the faculty and the administrators going to say?
3: Yeah. I mean, I mean the bubble, the bubble thing works. We've seen with the NBA, it seems like right. that works. I mean, if you want to have football, dude put the whole football team in a hotel, close it down and then have a bus
2: <laughs> go to and from. And I mean, that's,
3: that's, that's gonna have to, if, if you really want to have football season, I think it's virtual
1: what, learning. Yeah.
2: Yeah, well, that's you talking about the bubble. Well, soccer and NBA has the bubble; they're working fine. MLB, grown men, professionals, mm-hmm. with tons of money uh, and
3: tons of uh, you know, they can do all the all the uh, medical stuff to, to and, fix. It and up. they are
2: getting sick. So yeah, you're right. So basically, what we're talking about, we better figure out something to talk about mid October. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, is it, it'll be that we'll talk about it the entire season as it goes along. But schedules out. Uh, Camp started. Carolina football is officially back in town. Ross Martin, Greg Barnes, I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt. Rate us, review us, subscribe on YouTube down below. Do all that stuff. Join us next time. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Tommy.
1: Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.
0: What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his
3: best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now it is a do average of 29 and 11. God,
1: what would it take to be an all-star?
3: A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.